being willing to, to play the piano for our praise music and our praise service every single Sunday morning and night, would you let it be known by saying, I love you, Emily. I love you, Emily. You may take a bow, ma'am. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you, sis. Turn me down a little bit, brother. You know you got a loud mouth preacher up here. Watch out now. Watch out. Y'all ain't got to go amening all over me and everything. Wow. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You may not believe this, but just 10 short years ago, there was a Gallup poll that revealed that 84% of Americans firmly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Shocking. Another separate poll revealed that 94% believed in God. This may throw you for a loop. Polls have also shown that 80% of Americans approve of voluntary prayer in school. Now, you may not know it, but there has been a group of people, actually one person, who has written to the school board, and now, uh, as a result of his letter and the threat of lawsuits, uh, now Lauderdale County High School and uh, Brooks High School are no longer allowed to pray over the intercom prior to a football game. But what you also need to know is that God's people who are called by his name said we will still gather for prayer and they gathered, circled the field as I understand it, uh, about 80% as I get it, uh, surrounded the field and in one united voice repeated the Lord's prayer prior to the football game. As I was sharing this with Janet, Janet said, you know something? I can't remember a single word that I've ever heard where somebody prayed over the intercom and I remembered what was actually prayed for. But you get a group of Christians to surround a football field and to pray the Lord's Prayer in one united voice, now that's something I'll remember. What was she saying? That might have been a stronger testimony. So what Satan meant for evil... God turned around for good. Boy, he's good at that, amen? These same polls showed that 81% of the nation opposes uh, abortion as a convenient means of birth control. 89% oppose homosexual behavior. We could go on, on and on, all morning long if we wanted to, but we cannot escape this conclusion. Although that we have been led to believe that we, the 94% who believe in God, although we've been led to believe that we're the minority, I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. We ain't. Say ain't. ain't. That's a word, all right? We ain't the minority. Therefore, that being the case, that we're not the minority, as Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary... For evil to triumph. All that is necessary 
for evil to win is for godly men and women to do nothing. If you want evil to win in your community, do nothing. You want Satan to win the battle? Just don't do nothing. Our founding fathers knew that if America was going to survive, she must depend upon help from God. But sadly, America has been steadily drifting further and further and further away from him. God is being driven out of our government, out of our society, out of our schools, and out of our public lives. But I got news for you, friend. Yeah, the hour's late. The hour is late, but if all God's people would stand up like they did Friday night and speak out, I believe that the tide can still be turned and America's spiritual suicide can be avoided. I believe that. There was a night in the Old Testament scriptures where the Lord actually was revealed to King Solomon. And here's what he said. In 2 Chronicles and chapter 7, verse 12, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, God says, and my ears will be attentive to the prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and set apart this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Pray with me. Lord God Almighty, we can't do it by ourselves, but there ain't no doubt in my mind you can. Lord, help us to do what we must as people called by your name to bring about revival to this land. For your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Even though this verse was originally spoken to King Solomon and to the nation of Israel, I want to tell you without a doubt that Christians today can, can apply the requirements, the rewards, and the results of this verse to our lives. Because Galatians 3.29 tells us that if we are Christ's, then we are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. We're part of the same group. We're God's people called by his name. But I do want you to notice whom this verse is addressed. This verse is addressed to God's people who are called by his name. God is talking to his people. He is speaking to people who have identified themselves with God, identified themselves with his work. He's talking to me and you. He's speaking to people whom we would call saved. Born again Christians 
Christians that, that come alongside the name of Jesus Christ and serve in his glorious name. Friends, I've got to tell you this, that if God chooses to bless America, it won't be because of America. If God chooses to bless America, it's going to be because of his people. Because he wants to bring rewards and blessings to his people. But if we, who are called by God's name, are not willing to fulfill the requirements to receive God's blessings, then there ain't no hope for the rest of the country. On the other hand, if we are obedient, the whole nation will benefit. What I'm saying to you is this. And if you don't get anything else I say today, what I'm saying to you is this. The buck stops here. The buck stops with you. Revival begins with you. It begins with you as an individual believer called by the name of God. Revival begins with you. Now, God had warned the nation of Israel that their disobedience to his word, their disobedience to his command, would bring dire consequences. And so he set forth here, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, he set forth some conditions that were necessary in order to reverse his judgment and bring his blessings. America is in desperate need of this kind of revival. So today I want to share with you, how can you and I become ripe for revival? Friends, what I'm sharing with you today is not some sort of recipe for revival. If I do this, God will do this. If I do this, then God will bring revival. It's not like that. Only God brings revival, and God's going to bring revival when he's good and ready to. But these things are stepping stones. They are conditions that, when met, make the environment ready. Make the atmosphere prepared for real and lasting revival. So can I tell you, friends, we need revival. So let's look at some things that we need to do to be ripe for revival. First of all, in the scriptures, I see clearly that real revival demands real requirements. Before revival can ever become a reality, God's people must meet at least four conditions that are mentioned in this verse. Meeting these conditions does not guarantee that revival will come, but it does create that atmosphere I was talking about. The first condition God's people must meet is fulfilling the call to preparation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Real revival requires that we clothe ourselves with humility. Real revival requires that we put on humility. That word humble 
That word humble gives us the idea of being under someone else. We humble ourselves before someone else. And can I tell you that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we are acknowledging that He is Lord. We are acknowledging that He is in control, that He is sovereign, that we can't do anything. He is the only one. He is the one. We're recognizing, but we're also admitting that we have needs Needs we can't meet. And in recognizing and admitting those needs, we also realize that only God can really provide what we need. Admitting our weakness, reaching out for His power, because God, I don't have none. I don't have any strength anymore. I can't stand up against this, this atheist community. But God can. We're saying, God, I can't, but you can. Lord, we need you. We humble ourselves before you. We willingly bow before you. And I open my life for you to use me however you see fit for your glory. I'm going to humble myself before you. Jesus said it in Matthew 23, 12. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Even his disciple Peter wrote, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, who will exalt you in due time. But here's something I noticed as I was Reading this, that God's people called by his name must humble themselves. That means I have to do it voluntarily. I have to humble my own self. But if I don't, I can be assured that God will. If I don't humble myself, I can be assured God will. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you firsthand, God's ways aren't always pleasant. Therefore, humble yourselves that God might exalt you in due time. It's a call to preparation that we must have. But there's also a call to prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. That word means just what it says. Pray. Communicate with God. Not only speak to him, but listen to him. Not only speak to him, but hear what he says and do it. That's praying. That's real and fervent and effective prayer that a righteous man can say. Humility, our prayer is basically humility in action. Acknowledging, I can't do it. Only you can, my Lord. The praying person sees his own inability and recognizes God's ability. That's what prayer is. And can I tell you that one of the most essential ingredients for a revival in a church is for its members to stand up and cry out, Lord, revive us again. Did you hear me? One of the most essential ingredients for revival in a church is for its member in one united voice to stand up and shout out to the Lord, 
Revive us again. One more time. Revive us again. Amen. Please be seated. Y'all are catching on. I love you. I love you. It's a call to prayer. Friends, let us determine to pray for personal revival. A revival that begins with you first. Then pray for revival for your church. Revival in our community and revival in this nation. Remember, revival begins with you. Revival begins with you. So pray in your homes. Pray in your cars with your eyes open. Pray in your schools. Pray in your jobs. Pray in your private places. Pray at this altar. Do you know this altar don't get used? And there's something to be said about people, God's people, called by his name, who at the conclusion of a service will humble themselves to be seen walking up here to kneel down before God and pray. But Bethel don't do it. Now, brothers and sisters, don't think I'm pointing fingers at you because I'm pointing the finger right here first, okay? There's something to be said, though, about walking forward and humbling ourselves before God to pray. Let us pray. You know why we haven't had revival, friends? Because we haven't been praying for revival. Did you hear that? The reason we don't have revival here is because we ain't praying for it. What did James say? You have not because you ask not. Of course we ain't going to have it if we ain't praying for it. How can we have something that God gives if we don't ask him for it? Remember, revival begins with you. Revival begins with the individual, the personal level. Now, I know that lots more could be said about prayer. But let us realize, friends, that we can't substitute talking about prayer for obeying God in prayer. So what am I saying? Instead of just talking about it, we should just do it. Let's pray. Father, this is just a glimpse of what's going to happen at the conclusion of this service. When your people who are called by your name will, in one united voice, humble themselves and bow before you to pray. First and foremost for personal revival. Lord, we know that's where it begins. Lord, you birth in us a desire to be revived again. In Jesus' name. Amen. So God has issued us a call to prepare, but he's also issued us a call to prayer. But he also issues us a call to passion. If my people, if. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's a call to passion. That word means to desire something, to want it with all your heart, to yearn after it, to desire it to where you would do anything to get it, to seek his face. And the idea is that you come to the place where God is the number one priority and he is the number one desire of your heart. That's what you do when you're seeking God's face. He's number one. He's the number one desire in your heart and your mind and your spirit. He's number one. And friends, there is nothing in this life, nothing in this life that's more important, nothing that's more precious, nothing that's more needful 
than having God and all that he has to offer. Friends, seek him while he may be found. Seek him while he may be found. Seek him while he may be found. Marcus Aurelius Antonius, a great emperor of the Roman Empire, said this, The true worth of a man is to be measured by the object he pursues. How do you measure up? Are you measuring your life by your checkbook? You measuring your life by the things you have? That's a pretty small measurement if so. Measure yourself by God on the other hand? That's a pretty big stature. Whatever has your attention this morning, that's your God. So what has your attention this morning? My prayer is, is that God has your attention this morning. He and he alone has your undivided, incredible, un unshattered attention. That he has your attention this morning. And you're hearing God's word. And you're making a commitment in your heart. I'm going to obey God's word. I'm going to apply God's word to my life. Do it or die. I'm going to do it today. Who's got your attention today? Let us declare that we will have no other gods before him. Let us declare our love for him and let that love to drive us to pursue him with all that's in us. Because when we do, whoo, we open the doors of heaven and the blessings of God flow into our life. A.W. Tozer, great theologian, said that if we yearned after God, even as much as a cow yearns after her calf, we would be the worshiping and effective believers that God's called us to be. Even that much, like a cow yearns after her calf. If we longed after God like a bride looks forward to her husband coming home, we'd be a far greater force for God than we ever have been. But there's one problem with churches today. We've ceased to desire God. We've ceased to desire God and we're pursuing so many things in our life and our devotion times are so irregular that we no longer have a place for first place. We have no place for first place. Can you honestly say that God has first place in your life? If he doesn't have first place in your life, there is no hope for revival. Seek my face. May the people of God once again fall in love with the one who first loved them. And may they do so to the point where he becomes the focus and the driving force in everything we do. So would you say you're prepared? Would you say that you're prayed up? Would you say that you're passionate? 
Well, if so, there's more. Because there's also a call to purity. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That phrase, turn from their wicked ways, is kind of self-explanatory, isn't it? It means stop it. God's saying stop it. Turning away from sin is repentance. And it's the only way to purity. Now friend, God knows that you're not perfect. And God knows that you're not sinless. But you better believe He knows you can sin less. So what will it be? What will it be? Let's examine our lives. Let's identify anything that doesn't please the Lord. Let's find out what doesn't line up with His Bible and eliminate it. Period. Turn from our wicked ways. Gordon McDonald says that repentance is not really a religious word. He said that repentance actually comes from desert nomads who lived in a world with no maps and no street signs. You see, when you're walking through the desert, it's awful easy to get lost. You, 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 it's kind of hit and miss. You become aware that all of a sudden this is an unfamiliar landscape. And you say, oh no. And, and you say to yourself, man, I, I'm going in the wrong direction. You see, recognizing where you're headed is the first step in repentance. But also the second act of repentance is to recognize, recognize first where you're headed and then all of a sudden choosing to go a different way. God's way. And that's what Christians ought to be in the habit of doing. It's real easy even for us to go the wrong way. But we always know that God is steering us His way. So let us live that kind of repentant lifestyle where we're constantly veering off that wrong path and constantly going God's way. got to admit to your traveling buddies, man, this is the wrong way. This is the wrong way, and I need to go that way. But we don't like that word repentance. We don't like that word because it makes us feel like we're making a mistake. And men, if you're here, say amen. Men, I'm speaking to you especially because... We got this ego thing going on. We got this pride thing going on. And we don't like to admit that we're wrong. But the fact is this. Revival ain't coming to a people until people turn from their sin. Until people begin living this repentant lifestyle where we're going God's way. So those are the first steps to getting right with God. Planting the seeds walking on the stepping stones, uh, looking at the conditions that make us ripe for revival, being prepared, being prayed up, being passionate, but also being pure. Because real revival demands real requirements. But real revival also provides real rewards. If we will meet the requirements, we will create an atmosphere that is ripe for revival. 
And we will experience some tremendous blessings in our own individual lives and in the life of this church. The likes you ain't never seen. What happened Wednesday? 300 people out here? That was a drop in the bucket. Can you imagine 3,000? Be out in the street. Gotta get the police out here to stop traffic out here. That ain't nothing. So what rewards can we expect? Well, the Bible says that God will hear us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, say then, then I will hear from heaven. I will hear. God's word tells us that sin hinders prayer. But when we turn our back on prayer, then that that unhindered prayer flow goes up to the throne of God and comes down from the throne of God. And can I tell you, there ain't no more powerful force in all the world than an unhindered prayer life. Why is that the most powerful force in the world? Because when you're praying that way, with an unhindered prayer life, you're praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Don't know about you, but I could use a little bit of heaven here on earth. I'd sure like to see a lot more of God's will being done here on earth. That's what an unhindered, unhindered prayer life can do for you. But the promise is also the real reward of God helping us. For not only then will I hear from heaven... I will forgive their sin. I can't speak for you, but I'm so glad for God's grace. I'm so glad that God forgives me. I'm so glad for the forgiveness of sin. Because it means not only is my prayer line restored when my sin is forgiven, but it also means I get to walk with him again. I get to walk with him in a, in a close fellowship again. Friend, nothing in this world compares with that close, personal walk with God. Nothing. So if we will come before the Lord and deal with our sin his way, he always responds with forgiveness and he always responds with restoration. When you think back on who you were before you came to Jesus, Can you see that you had a need to be restored? I sure did. Well, the rewards are the fact that God will help us and God will certainly hear us. But the Bible also says that he will heal us and I will heal their land. Now, God had warned Israel. He had warned Israel that their sin would result in drought and that would devastate the land and it would devastate the population. So the Lord's promise to them was this. Repentance equals rain. If you honor me, I'll honor you. If you'll open your heart, I'll open the heavens. In a very real sense, friends, we are in the same situation today. Our homes, 
our communities, our nation has been devastated through a drought of spiritual blessings, a drought of spiritual power. We ain't got none. But if God's people who are called by his name will come to him in genuine repentance and genuine faith, I'm telling you that this country will be impacted for and by the glory of God. I'm telling you. By the authority of God's word, I'm telling you. Friends, we need that kind of revival. But remember, it begins on a personal level. It begins with you. It begins on an individual level. It begins with you. So it demands real requirements, but it also provides real rewards. But finally today, I want you to see that real revival yields real results. Real and lasting results. Notice that both the conditions and the promises of God are given to who? God's people. When God's people experience revival and spiritual change in our life, then all of a sudden there's going to be revival and spiritual change in the life of the church. And when there's revival and spiritual change in the church, then all of a sudden there's going to be revival and spiritual change in the community. And so on and so on until it affects the entire globe. But I can't emphasize this enough. It begins with you. It begins with me. The buck stops here. The buck stops with you. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of seeing what sin does to our homes, what it does to our marriages, what it does to our churches, what it continues to do to our nation. I'm sick of it. But what am I going to do about it? Would I get just a real vision of what God might could do for us and through us? Have you ever thought about that? What God might could do for you and through you? What he might do through this small country church in northeast Lauderdale County? If God could create a universe, what might he do through us? If real revival ever came to you, if real revival ever came to you, ma'am, if real revival ever came to you, sir, you would never be the same again. If it really came, it would change you and every single person around you. You'd be oozing God. I ain't oozed God in a long time, but I'd like to see what that feels like. The key word in that verse, and you said it, is if. If my people who are called by my name will do this and thus, then I will do this and thus. If we will do our part, we can trust God to do his part. In his timing, according to his divine plan, when he's ready for it, he'll bring it, but he's not going to do it until we do our part. It will not happen. So, are you willing to answer a few questions before you leave today? 
Are you one of God's people? If you're not, I'm telling you today, you can leave here as one. I'm telling you that God Almighty sent His Son to die in your place for your sins to give you forgiveness and grant you eternal life in heaven. He did that. And He says all you got to do is admit that you're a sinner, turn away from that sin, declare that Jesus Christ is now the Lord of your life. You are not your Lord. Confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. And the Bible says clearly, you will be saved. You'll become one of God's people called by His name. If you're not one today, you can be before you leave. Second question. Christian, if you're a Christian, don't raise your hand. But listen up. Are you willing to pay the price? You know and I know you hadn't been paying the price. I looked in the mirror this morning and I realized I haven't been paying the price. And if we're honest, you'd probably say the same. I haven't been as willing as I should to come before him. I haven't been as willing as I should to humble myself before him. I haven't been as willing as I should to pray, to seek his face, and turn from my wicked ways. So are you willing to be and do whatever it takes? Are you willing to be and do whatever it takes to see real revival come into your life, come into the life of this church, come into your community, come into this United States, and even come into the earth again? Are you willing to do that? Friend, if the Lord has spoken to you today about your need for personal revival, because that's where it starts. If he's spoken to you about your need for personal revival or the need for revival in our church, in our nation, I'm asking you to come before him during this decision time song. I'm asking you to get about the business of meeting the requirements, reaping the rewards, and seeing the results. But know this, the buck stops here. The buck stops with you. Something to be said about a man or a woman who would walk up before others to humble themselves before God and pray for personal revival. What will it be? Let's pray. Father in heaven, You've said all you need to say. You've made it incredibly clear that without you there is no revival. And without us fulfilling the requirements to humble ourselves, seek your face, pray and turn from our wicked ways, there also will be no revival. Help us to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the buck stops here. 
Have your will and your way, Lord, in the lives of an unbeliever and in the life of a Christian today. Lord, let us see if there's anyone desiring personal revival. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said,